Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the programme this week... Well, it's chock full. We've got a weekend of trans-Tasman competition ahead of us. The All Blacks and the Wallabies, that's at Eden Park, of course. The Silver Ferns are on track to play Australia in the final of the World Netball Champs. And the Tall Blacks and the Boomers square off for a place at the Rio Olympics. So was last weekend's rugby championship lost to the Wallabies just a blip? Or is it a major meltdown ahead of the World Cup? We'll find out. All Black Lucy Victor Vito talks about the difference he can make. And referee Glenn Jackson whistles up a double century. He tells us about the worst flack he's received as a ref. The Silver Ferns continue their quest for the Holy Grail, and they've got the Australians worried. The Tall Blacks tell us what they need to do to overcome Australia and get to Rio. America's Cup sailors Peter Burling and Blair Tuke take to the water off Rio, a year out from the Games, back in the 49er class, while a player strike could derail the A-League football season. We talked to Phoenix skipper Andrew Durante about the issues. The All Blacks face possibly their biggest challenge since winning the World Cup four years ago when they defend the Bledisloe Cup at Eden Park this weekend. Was the loss to Australia last weekend in Sydney simply a blip or is it cause for bigger concern with the World Cup just over a month away? Matt Chatterton reports. History means the All Blacks have a lot on the line at tomorrow night's Test match. Australia haven't beaten New Zealand at Eden Park since 1986. Ben Smith, who was born in the same year as that loss, is starting at fullback for the All Blacks and says he hopes that record continues tomorrow night. We're just trying to improve from last weekend and put out a really good account of ourselves to make that possible to do Eden Park. I'm really proud, so... I think you know from from what I'm gathering around around the team room and the and the players is they're really excited to get out there this weekend. Ben Smith says there's been a big lift in spirits within the All Blacks camp as they prepare for their last match before next month's World Cup in England. That message has been reiterated by the All Blacks coach Steve Hansen, who says he's well aware that the last time Australia beat New Zealand twice in a row was in 2001. He says Saturday's test is as much about improving their performance on last week as it is about retaining the second most important trophy in New Zealand rugby. You can feel there's a bit more edge. Whilst you, you, you want to learn from winning, there's no doubt that losing hurts a hell of a lot more than winning uh, does. And you look deeper within, within yourself. And uh, there's plenty of sports people and plenty of sports stories that will tell you that. Steve Hansen says Wallabies coach Michael Checker has worked really hard to improve the team culture in the Australian side and he should be applauded for his efforts. Hansen says one of the keys to retaining the Bledisloe Cup will be his team's ability to adapt to different situations on the field as well as beating Australia to the breakdown. One way he hopes to achieve this is by giving Hurricanes loose forward Victor Vito a start at blindside flanker. 
Vito replaces Jerome Kano in the number six jersey for tomorrow's game and says playing in test matches like these is what every New Zealand rugby player dreams of. As a Kiwi growing up, you know, you see the boys and I remember the heartache that we had when we didn't have it. So, yeah, it's, it's massive for us and uh, we want to make sure that we uh, keep it on our shores. All Blacks loose forward Victor Vito. As for Australia, Wallabies captain Stephen Moore says his side isn't becoming complacent following their first win over the All Blacks in four years. He says while last weekend's game was a major breakthrough for his side, they still have a lot to do if they want to lift the trophy they haven't touched in 13 years. Well, if you look across the game, everything that we did on the weekend, we're going to need to do better uh, on Saturday over there. So when you look at it that way, there's plenty of stuff to work on. Wallabies captain Stephen Moore. Kick-off for tomorrow night's test is at 7.35. Matt Chatterton reporting. Loose forward Victor Vito is one of three changes made to the All Blacks starting lineup for Saturday night's test. Along with Vito coming in, Ma Nonu replaces the injured Sonny Bill Williams at second five and Sam Whitelock takes over from Luke Romano at lock. The Wallabies, well, it's said that you shouldn't change a winning combination, but Michael Check has made six to their starting 15, the biggest surprise being the selection of Quade Cooper at first five to replace Bernard Foley. There's also a revamped Wallabies loose forward trio, which All Blacks coach Steve Hansen's expecting Victor Vito to disrupt. I think I can make a big difference in just nailing my role. I guess um, you know Aussie were pretty good in that last game and just taking a few of us off our game. But I think uh, you know with extra weeks reflection and uh, a little bit more fire in the belly, I think uh, just nailing our roles a little bit better. Do you like the pressure of kind of getting one audition sort of for the World Cup? <sighs> to be fair, I've been here for a little while now, and in terms of you know pressure on just me. I think there's you know there's a whole bunch of guys, there's 23 of us out in that field that are looking to, to work, you know, nail their spots uh, obviously for this game first and foremost and then maybe, you know, further on if that so be the case. But uh, yeah, look, pressure rugby is always with the All Blacks, whether it's a better side decider or whether it's a test against Argentina, it doesn't matter, they're all pretty important. You played a lot of eight during Super Rugby, how much of an adjustment to switch over to six? Oh, I think in this, you know, I've played a lot of eight in Super Rugby, but in saying that in the All Blacks, it's always been a little bit of a mix and match of both, so it's no, nothing too new. I mean, I've got guys like uh, Jerome and Liam that are always leading me in that, in that regard and helping me uh, get my role clear and size in my head. Rick, Steve's talked a lot this year about guys who get opportunities being too excited, pushing too hard to, I guess, impressing division is important. You know, not to not to sort of uh, get too excited about, about this chance and, 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 and just do your role. Yeah, I think um, I think Steve's nailed it on the head. You get a chance to get, get on that field and uh, do your role in the 23, and if you try and overplay your hand, that's when you, you come out of your role, you come out of who you are naturally as a player, and you try too much and you knock on the ball and that kind of thing. All those little mistakes creep in, so if anything, it's just having trust in the systems, and when you get excited, it's, if anything, it's uh, just using it in a positive way rather than detracting from the team. Thursday's normally the one where they, you guys bring a fair bit of heat. Are you expecting plenty this afternoon? Yeah, expecting some good heat, and I think that's the only way that we can really train for a, for an opposition that are you know not going to be holding anything back. That's All Blacks loose forward Victor Vito. <laughs> Still with rugby, referee Glenn Jackson set to whistle up a double century this weekend, becoming the first New Zealander to play 100 first-class rugby matches and referee 100 first-class games. Jackson will bring up the milestone in Buenos Aires over the weekend when he controls the South Africa-Argentina test. Jackson played for the Māori All Blacks and the Chiefs, and his playing career came to an end five years ago after a stint in England. Jackson admits he's surprised to have reached the top echelon of refereeing so quickly. Most people would probably watch it and say you, you, you never really succeed in refereeing, but I guess if the, 
you're still doing it and um, being able to to referee test matches is like a you know a, a proud thing for for a lot of people. The adjustment. I mean, I imagine there there are many things that you know you're going to have to adjust to. Is there anything that you maybe didn't see on the radar or has been bigger than you might have anticipated? Go and complain to, to refereeing. I, I knew that referees uh, copped a fair bit of flack during the, during the time, but I think uh, until you're actually in it, actually in it, at it and, and understand uh, the sort of grief that you can get off the field, I think that was probably uh, one of the areas which was the biggest adjustment, really, I guess, because as a, as a player, you know, um, certainly copped some flack, especially as a goal kicker, about missing, but uh, um, I guess it doesn't happen every game, and, and in refereeing, you know, there's always 50% of the people probably that aren't so happy with you in terms of how the results go, so, uh, yeah, certainly that was one of the areas, I think, um, in terms of how you deal with that and how you get over that and move on to the next week is certainly one of the hard areas to, to get right. What's the worst you've copped? I've been pretty lucky, it hasn't been too bad. I mean, Wales, uh, Scotland, we're... Uh, um, one of my coaches that I really enjoyed and really looked up to was very unhappy with me after a game in terms of Ned Cotter and uh, had every reason to. So uh, I think, you know, you, you feel like you've, you've probably hit yourself down and, and a team as well. It makes it very difficult. So, uh, yeah, so having uh, been obviously the guy that took us through to the, um, take us to, to the back for Rampley Shield and won that and then uh, see his disappointment after that game was uh, certainly uh, disappointing. And he let you know. Yeah, well, that's one thing. You, you knew as a player that you were going to yeah, cop it from him if you let him down. So as a referee, it's probably going to be three times as bad. So, yep, he, uh, he let me know. Are you still able to sit down and enjoy a game of rugby, watching it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, you know it's very disappointing that you all got lost. But I thought, in terms of watching that, it was, um, it was a good game of rugby to watch. I mean, I, I'm very excited about obviously this week in terms of how the ABs will bounce back and and what they will produce because you know, I think there will be a backlash and um, I think it's just you know, it's, it's, it's a good time of the year to be watching rugby. I think uh, a lot of teams are really putting their hand up and it's making it extremely interesting for the World Cup going forward. You, you don't sit there though and go, oh he's missed a call there, he, he's missed a, a forward pass that, that was a wrong entry at the ruck. You don't find yourself getting caught doing that? I feel like for play I'm certainly still just a supporter so obviously you're still uh, looking at how the referee goes in terms of just the support that you give them. So, yeah, I, I, I'm still I'm still a rugby watcher, but there's definitely a change in terms of what I see as a referee. But I, I think more importantly is probably <clears throat> I like to see how referees uh, deal with, with issues in terms of um, there's always some games that bring up something weird that you haven't seen before, and just seeing how they deal with that is, is also a very good learning tool for us. What about things that players can do to most annoy you? If, if anyone's going to get under the skin of a referee, what's the quickest way to do that? Referees can only let themselves get under the skin. I think players can, can, can rattle off and most of the time it's um, it's just emotion in terms of what happens. Uh, it's obviously something we work on you know, a fair bit as a, as a referee group about either adding fuel or diffusing the situation and um, I think um, it's pretty easy to get uptight and, and pretty anxious around that and add fuel or it's pretty easy sometimes just to understand that a player is pretty emotional and it's uh, and you just put put the fire out so it's um it's obviously a fine line that you can't be it's a great game rugby in terms of how they mostly deal with referees so it's uh, certainly an issue that we we look at and hopefully you can diffuse pretty well there must be a few teams though that you come up against that you know you're going to a cop an earful or someone's going to be always 
in your ear? Who, who's the worst at that? Oh, look, no, I, don't, I haven't really got any change that you look at and go, that's bad, those those guys are uh, over the top, I think. You'd be disappointed if most nines and tens um, haven't got to uh, something that they're trying to get over the referee. I mean, it's just the game of rugby, and that's part of uh, what happens. So I think it's more about the positions and on the game, on the field more than uh, actual teams that, that you have to be concerned about. I was talking to international rugby referee Glenn Jackson. The Silver Ferns have got the Aussies worried. Just ask Silver Ferns assistant coach and the former Australian international, Vicky Wilson. New Zealand's 52-47 win over Australia last week provided a spark that the Nepal World Champs needed. For prior to the tournament, it was seen as a given that the Diamonds were on course to retain their world crown. The Silver Ferns win ended a nine-test losing run to Australia. And speaking at a gathering in Sydney last night, Vicky Wilson said the result has certainly shaken up the wider Australian sports community. Uh, the candle lighting ceremony, and that's the way we start the, the World Championships. Uh, Catherine Harvey walked up to me, Catherine Harvey, one of my former teammates, and uh, who's lived for quite some time in Auckland, said, you know, I've written you off. And I went, yeah, I know, halves. So today, I actually caught up with her. I said, so how'd we go? <laughs> uh, Liz Ellis sent me a text, and she wrote, brilliantly executed. Well done. <laughs> For those of you who do follow a little bit of rugby, I received a text message from John Eels. <laughs> and he said, I don't think I can be one-eyed anymore. I saw you sitting in with the, the ferns and he said, and what about the goal attack? She had just a cracker of a game. <laughs> Now the Silver Ferns play Uganda in their final second round match on Friday night and then England in the semi-finals on Saturday win that and they're likely to play Australia in the final. The Australians play Jamaica in the other semi. Vicky Wilson says plenty of planning has gone into just how the World Cup was expected to unfold for the Silver Ferns. We replicated this program with our series prior to coming out here for world champs so against Fiji and South Africa so our games were spaced the same way they would be for here so we've and same with when we're in our training camp so we've rehearsed all of that but you certainly need some downtime and if you don't do that then you get yourself all, all tied up in knots so we've done we, uh, we haven't done an awful lot of analysis in the last couple of days because we've been doing that every time we, we've met so it's it's not a cram you know um, you know the way you would cram for a uni um, exam so it's been very well documented all the way through what you know who they'll be playing against and the t- types of styles so every now and then we'll pull a couple of them in just to show them a little few little bits and pieces but certainly um, by Saturday they all would have watched the England Australia game so they know you know what to expect when we play England. Mm. How are the bodies today after a couple of torrid games are they Mm. I guess they certainly needed that rest day? Yeah we did it was been a rugged couple of days and I think particularly for you know all our, our youngsters haven't played Caribbean style and then to then back up against um, Malawi as well so it's it is rugged it's uh, unpredictable they play a very short game so it's a lot of chasing involved uh, so we still carved out the same amount of mileage we would for a, for an Australian game so um, just shorter distances but you know as far 
Just wondering when the realisation dawned on the coaching staff that there did need to be a change in the attacking end, was that something that you and Y came to mutually or was there a bit of negotiation there? There's always been talk. uh, Well, we discussed for, for years about the kind of game we want to be known for and we kept always going over our strengths and we've always done whiteboard sessions at the end of every series what have we learned where are we going what could we do better so you know that's been ongoing then when you start mapping all of that out it wasn't until you know when we got to trials that uh, when the team virtually picked, picked itself and it was about opportunity it was about availability it was about number of attempts we were putting up and we documented it really well over the last three years so I think it was staring us there in the face. Did you sort of know early on as soon as you saw Mez, Bailey Mez play that she was something special? Bailey came on tour with us back in England so it was that, that was one of my first first tours away so when we toured over there and she was coming back from her knee injury so she'd been off the court I watched her play those first couple of games when she came out for Mystics at the latter half of of the year so she was exciting because she was so athletic but then when she you know was injured and in rehab uh, you just hope they come back uh, as good if not better and and she did that so just had only a short amount of time with her on tour because she couldn't play but she certainly came away for that experience and and she could still do her shooting for the three weeks we were away so to have a player as as athletic as her has certainly changed the dynamic in the forward line without a doubt. Obviously there's been a lot of talk of of how far this group's come but I guess now the challenge is to to go the full distance. I mean how how determined are this group? Very determined but the thing that I like they they're courageous and when I talk about courage it's courage to to let the ball go into open space, to let the ball go when someone's you know being hammered by their opponent. It's their courage to try something different and I think our great strength is that we have variety in our game and perhaps that's what you know caught the Australians out the other night. That's Silver Ferns assistant coach Vicky Wilson. Buoyed by their recent success at the Stankovic Cup in China, the Tall Blacks play Australia in the first of two Oceania Olympic qualifying matches in Melbourne on Saturday night. The New Zealand side has had matches in Europe and they then went on to the Stankovic Cup tournament where they had wins over China, Venezuela and Mexico. The Tall Blacks captain, Mika Vakona, says that's given them a major confidence boost ahead of playing the Boomers, a side which features NBA players Andrew Bogut, who won the NBA championship with the Golden State Warriors, and the San Antonio Spurs player, Paddy Mills. Everybody's a little bit confident coming off that uh, that tournament win. Um, But look, we've been building up pretty nicely ever since that first game against Britain. And, uh, you know, I think the guys are just getting edgy and just really want to play this game on Saturday. Paddy Mills is a late inclusion into the team. How do you think he's going to affect the way you guys play? Do you think he's going to affect it at all? Uh, No, not at all. I mean, Dante had a great... uh, on ball game, you know, with defences, I mean, on offence and that, and you know what, they're pretty similar. Uh, but look, Petty brings a whole lot of experience. He's been there, done that, and uh, you know, he's a class act, so 
look, these guys just keep pulling more people out of the uh, woodwork like this, and it's it's good for us. And um, what sort of uh, have you been working on this week that uh, you may not have got right over at over in China? We worked on everything, man. We're trying to cover all our bases right now. Um, look, the coaches know what they want from us. Uh, we've scouted them a little bit already, and you know, all this week's just about trying to make sure that we don't make the mistakes that we did over in China and Europe. Uh, on a slightly different note, uh, that yesterday it was announced that Charles Jackson is going to be joining the Breakers this year. Uh, he's been compared to a younger, slightly taller version of yourself. Have you seen much of his uh, his game? Uh, you know, I've seen a couple of clips on YouTube and just seeing, I mean, this kid here, just seeing what he uh, they showed. You know, he's a hard worker. He's got the right attitude. Look, and I think he's going to fit in perfectly with the Breakers. I just can't wait to get him here and uh, you know start playing with him. And um, getting back to getting back to this week, what do you think uh, personally yourself you need to do to help the help the side get your first win over? The, over the Aussie team this week. Just make sure we limit those turnovers that we've uh, you know, had a high turnover rate uh, in the last couple of games. I mean, if we can do that, keep the rebounding count uh, to be advantage to us, you know, they'll help us towards the wins. That's Tall Blacks captain Mika Vakona in Game 2 of that qualifying series is in Wellington on Tuesday night. The Olympic 49er sailing class is a far cry from the fast-foiling America's Cup catamarans, but Blair Tukes, fast-feeling at home in both. The comparison would seem something like driving a rally car and then hopping out and taking the wheel of a Formula One car. But swapping boats is becoming second nature to Tuke, who, along with Peter Burling, are at the forefront of the New Zealand America's Cup campaign. The pair are also the reigning 49er world champions. The class is so named because the boat is four point nine nine metres long. Duke and Burling, who won a silver medal at the London Olympics, are currently in Rio preparing for next year's Olympics and they'll compete in a regatta next week. I asked Blair Duke just how much adjustment was needed jumping between the two boats. There's different skills required um, for the different types of boats we sail and luckily over the last few years we've um, sort of been sailing quite a few different boats which has enabled us each time we jump in the other boat to get back into it quicker and uh, you know, the 49ers the boat we've sailed a lot over the last seven years so um, each time we get back in we we'll pick back up the skills a bit quicker but um, you know I'm saying that you have to spend time in the boat you can't just expect to jump back in and be uh, as good as you are at the end of sort of an event or, or whatever like um, the Europeans a month or so ago so got a really solid build up here and uh, taking no chances really. The 49ers, did, did they feel like home to you? Even though I spent so much time in the 49er now that we, um, you know, we really enjoy it and we, it does, yeah, it feels like home is the boat we sail the most um, uh, but at the same time you know, it has been fun sailing the AC the, you know, the 40 and 45 um, you know, and some of the things we learned from guys in Team New Zealand we, we can bring back in and I think it's all positive for our Olympic campaign. What sort of things in particular? I think some of the you know the teamwork aspect is uh is quite has been quite good and it's sort of there's just lots of little things around the uh a racetrack that you, you pick up and you learn skills off the designers off the boat builders or whatever it may be and all of those things just broadens your horizons uh, and sort of widens your knowledge and sailing is such a diverse sport that that it all helps and uh you know you can pick up the bits that you think might might be able to help in a full minor campaign and we've managed to be able to do that over the last couple of years quite nicely. No, there's been a lot of talk about the, the pollution. How have you found things? Yeah, there has been. Um, you know, we picked up all the reports in the media and whatnot. I've uh, been away for a while now, so I haven't seen any New Zealand uh, media about it. But personally, I sort of feel that it's not it's not quite as bad as what you know it's sort of made out to be. It is. Um, 
there's no doubt it's not like sailing in Auckland Harbour or on the, up in the Bay of Islands where I'm from. Um, you know, it is different, but you know, Rio is a big city, and yes, yeah, it's, it's not the nicest. But I, you know, I sort of hope that they can cleaned up um, over the next few years, not just before the Olympics next year, but the next few years, so that people at Rio can sort of enjoy the, the harbour again. And, and, and I think that'll be hopefully the Olympics can help leave that legacy. Is it similar to other conditions you come across, pollution-wise? Yeah, not personally not. It is, it is probably worse, but um, it's not. Yeah, and I've heard stories of people that race other places in the world that have been bad as well. So, yeah, like I said, it's just for us, it's just about performing and sort of and dealing with it. It's not, it's not a major factor for us. And your competitors, I mean, where does your main opposition come from? Uh, we've still got uh, the Aussie guys who beat us for the gold medal last time in London. They're still, they're still going, and you know, they're, no doubt they're one of the other, um, you know, one of our main rivals. German guys have been going well lately. British British team, so there's five or six guys that, or teams that could, uh, you know, win. Uh, if they put a good week together, and then there's probably the top ten could be on the podium. So uh, that's out of 20 votes. So it's still, still really tight, and uh, you know, we've been going well lately. But you know, we've got to execute everything if we want to keep winning. I was talking to 49er sailor and America's Cup team member Blair Tuke. A player strike looms even long before the next A-League football competition kicks off. There's been claim and counterclaim in the dispute with the Players' Union, the Professional Footballers' Association, claiming Football Federation Australia has withdrawn recognition of it. The FFA denies that's the case. The FFA and PFA are still at an impasse over a variety of issues, including a proposed A-League salary cap freeze, which the union has dismissed out of hand. Richard Wayne spoke to Phoenix captain Andrew Durante about just what's at stake. Oh, we've been obviously negotiating for quite some time now to try and reach an agreement under the, the CBA, which is an agreement between the FFA and, and the players of how the game's governed and run. And that's come to an end now. So the players aren't happy with kind of what the FFA has delivered. They've stopped all communication. What I believe, I only got off the plane tonight, but what I believe was um, there was meant to be a meeting held today and it didn't it didn't go ahead. PFA have only been notified through the media that um, all these changes to the salary cap have been done today. That doesn't sound good. I mean, I know in New, in New Zealand union uh, rules, you have to act in good faith and it doesn't sound like the FFA is acting in good faith here at all. Oh, look, there's clearly a breakdown in communication and what's been stated in the media that, that there's been walkouts from the FFA in, in when negotiations have gone through. So, yeah, there's clearly a breakdown in, in what we believe is fair and, and what the FFA have, you know, want to impose. Now the FFA don't want to recognise the players' union as an entity in, in this negotiation. So it's it hasn't gone the way that um, we would have liked, but, um, you know, now we have to consider, um, you know, a different type of action. Yeah, well, I guess strike action's on the cards now. It sounds like they're acting unilaterally. This is what the PFA says, that the FFA unilaterally announced a range of sweeping changes on Tuesday to the salary cap player roster framework, and, and you guys can't accept it. All 177 players in attendance at the general meeting on Sunday voted to reject it. So, yeah, what happens now? Yes, obviously, strike action, industrial action is, is a last resort thing. Um, from what I understand, it will go through a proper court system now to, to reach an agreement. Hopefully, it can be done, and hopefully, yeah, some more negotiations can happen so we do reach a conclusion. I mean, at the end of the day, no one wants it 
to end up looking bad on, on anyone. But um, like I said, there's clearly a breakdown. Um, what we believe we're negotiating about is, is not unreasonable by any means. So hopefully an agreement can be reached before it gets out of hand. Is the proposed A-League salary cap freeze the main thing? or are there, I mean, I know there are other issues like player protections and payments for female Australian internationals. I mean, is there one key issue above all or is it sort of all of it? Obviously, um, you know, contract security for the players is a huge thing. Um, you know, there's about $1.4 million in outstanding payments to players, um, whether that be superannuation or pay, players not being paid. So, um, you know, we, we've seen that as a, uh, as a key thing to have contract security. Uh, we've asked for acknowledgement on a, a retirement fund. Um, we'd like to see a retirement fund uh, with players transitioning from professional football going into the real world. Um, we'd like a, a fund set up to, to help assist that. And then obviously there's Socceroos and Matildas issues that, that have been negotiated as well. And then the cap freeze, uh, you know, we've, we've stayed at 2.55 now. This will be, um, you know, four seasons that the salary cap hasn't moved. And yes, there was an announcement today that, um, you know, there'll be some, a little bit of flexibility, but we just want that to be sat down uh, with the PFA and, and become a mutual agreement where we, we all agree on it not just what FFA says, and, and we just have to deal with it as players. Yeah, I guess you've all got to agree together, don't you? Look, is there not enough of money in Australian football? I mean, I know that you guys get a lot more uh, crowds these days than the NRL. Yeah, uh, the, the game's growing, uh, 100%. The game's growing. TV rights are, are getting bigger and bigger, and, and there's a lot more interest in the league. And, you know, we want the percentage to be what we believe is, is fair for the players. I don't believe, and, and the players and the players union don't believe that we're being greedy in what we're asking, not not by any means. And we're all about the good of the game and, and making sure it grows in the right way. We've never put the game in, in harm, so you know, clearly the FFA don't even want to negotiate about it anymore. That's Andrew Durante talking to Richard Wayne. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. And you can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport to keep up with all the latest goings-on in the sporting world. I'm Stephen Houston. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.